welcome to season two of the Good Bottle Podcast. This is the ultimate mashup. We are taking both tasting notes and our uh, podcast, the Good Bottle Podcast, and we're squishing it together. What do we call it? The flagship? The flagship? We're taking the flagship and the tasting notes because we don't really have a name for the main podcast. Or it's, is it even the main podcast? It's the main main. The main main. Oh, the Good so on the side? Podcast. Yes. I'm the side? Yes. Chloe's the side piece. If you look at the episode numbers, you're always a half. I'm always so. a half. Just like in real life. <laughs> we are your hosts. I am Chris Sinclair. I'm Chloe Henry. Wow, I don't even wow. know my name. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Chloe Henry. That's lovely. And I'm Drew Garrison. It, to her credit, she like went to me first. I got And then she, like, then she forgot who she was yeah. when you pointed at her. Yeah. So you can tell that in a podcast that none of us have been doing very long, whether it is the flagship and or the tasting notes, we're like, fuck it, time to throw a wrench in it. Let's try to come up with a whole brand new realm. Let's of, rebrand this thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Well, it's only one episode. This is a special one. I thought this was a great way to start out the new year, and I think uh, so. I thought it'd be fun for us to be in the same room at some point in time as well. I like yeah. it. Yeah. No, I I agree, and I think um, it's it's going to be maybe if we get like extreme fanfare, we're like you guys should do that every time. You might just be roped into this, Chloe. And, and then vice versa, because I know I've listened to the tasting notes and I'm really excited about the rules that I have to abide by. That's right. Which are? You know, which I can't say if I like something. That's right. And I can't say anything is smooth. Correct. Yeah, right? That's he right. already knows he's he's better off than us. <laughs> yeah. He's ready to yeah, You guys are probably going to succeed at the not saying whether or not yeah. you like something or yeah. not. You guys are terrible we are. at that. We yeah. Are. But, but it's, it's admittedly a fail. I'm not hiding it. Yeah. It's fun to listen to. Because <laughs> uh, it, it just makes me think like, oh, they really, really enjoy this. So we're jumping right into it. And we're going to do it to where... Let's like dive I said, right in, Drew. It, it's a mashup. So... We are going to tell you what this first one is now. I don't really know what this is, but yeah. but this is where Chris I hop in. This is where Chris and Clay do know what we're drinking. This is where I hop in. So, uh, as always, we taste a wine and then we taste a spirit. Uh, today we have a wine that Chris has in the shop at Good Bottle, and I also have this on the list at Empress Tavern. Um, it is a piquette, which is something I had no idea what that was until I got this wine sold upon me. But very, very cool. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, it actually dates back to the ancient Greek and Roman times. Uh, and, you know, most recently uh, up, up on the, you know, the East Coast. So basically what a piquette is, is after you press the grapes for the, you know, the juice, the wine, they're doing it a second time. So think about like a tea bag. You're doing it twice over. It's like you're pumping it back in. So uh, what we're doing is we're pressing the pomace, which is, you know, the grape skins, the seeds, and we're doing that a second time. So you're getting like a lighter flavor. Um, there's still definitely some juice in those, you know, skins and grapes and all that, but this is the second time around. So it's like a lighter, thinner version. That's all really cool. But I will say that when you said the word teabag, I just immediately jumped to Halo in my mind and watching 13 year olds playing video games, teabagging the guys, their kills. Mm, did not go there with that. Mm. I did not either. In I fact, thought, I thought it was very descriptive and I thought you were going to see like, oh yeah, you're right. After I use my chamomile tea bag mm. once, I usually use it a second time for the flavor. No, no. It's all about video games. I'm a very mature 13 year old. I also don't drink enough tea. So, because <laughs> that reference right over the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I've made tea before. I dip it in the hot water a couple times. Yeah. 
But I wasn't like, well, this is this is to get it in there. This one's for the flavor. <laughs> like that was never. All right, part sorry, of the sorry, process. I just bombed on both aspects of that. No, 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 so this particular one is from Field Recordings out of Paso Robles. It's called Tang. This is considered also a natural wine. So uh, we kind of talked about that in a previous podcast before. But uh, this one is made with Pinot Gris, Chenin, and Riesling skins. So first off, for the viewers at home, listeners at home, um, it's very funky looking. It looks like almost like a champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, nice, you know, foam bubbles on top. Uh, what do you get when you put your schnoz in it? Uh, light yeast. Mm-hmm. It's a little like lemon zest, but it's... I get like grapefruit for sure on it. But now the crazy thing is once you try this fucking thing, dude, it's like, I already told Chris, I've, I've tried this one before. I'm sorry. I'm cheating. Um, <laughs> it is very interesting. So my, my, first, my first taste, I was like, oh... Are we allowed to say I don't like it? But You're not. But oh, you ruined it. Then I continue to let it unfold, and it's it's. You're right. It's interesting, and it continues to kind of have different layers. And I don't usually get that. With, yeah. With wine. Yeah. Which is interesting. What I usually find in in wines that I would call thin um, is oh, you get a lot of flavor up front, dies away. Mm-hmm. This is sort of the opposite. You get mm. very little flavor up front, except for the what you notice from the effervescence and the texture, and then kind of the more you swallow and the more you it lingers. Let it roll around. You the flavor sort of unfolds that way, which is a reverse parabola in terms of flavor. Mm. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, thin in many ways. You know, thin obviously. Because it's like a second pressing of the grapes, you're not getting as much. It is also a 7%. So, um, you know, you could take, take this whole bottle down. It's, you ain't going to feel anything. Right. Except for me. This, You know, this tastes like um, wine-flavored soda water. It kind of reminds me if you were going to do a white claw of wine. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Citrusy, little whiny yeah. white claw. Yeah, yeah. No um, laws on the piquet. No laws. But awesome. you, you look way classier drinking this. So it's like a really beautiful green bottle, red labeling, big word of tang across it. So mm-hmm. if you grew up as a kid in the 90s, you remember the tang orange yeah. uh, drink. So like I'm feeling nostalgic right now. For sure. But it's boozy. So that's, that's also, really a pleasure. Also, Drew, I don't know if you knew this, but there's like some new wine terminology in the industry. And tang actually refers to like volatile acid. I did not know that. I Yeah, no. So I was, I don't know if this particular label was doing it on purpose or if they're doing it because it reminds them of like that orange tangness. Um, but yeah, so I was going to ask actually Russell to ask them, but um, it's kind of a funny play on words. I don't know if it's, you know, tang because of the acidity. I don't think it's overwhelmingly acidic. I don't but... think, so. okay, so for our listeners, like tang is very prominent on this yeah, label. yeah. Which makes me think that <laughs> it's, you know, it's not as much of a descriptor, but it would be like what the wine is called, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically saying like, it's, this is, it'd be like putting buttery on there yeah. in terms of a tasting note, which is really interesting. So now I like desperately want to know the reason behind Glad tang. I hooked you into it. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Now I mean, it's so much more interesting. It's, I mean, I already liked it. 
kind of, but <laughs> now it's like, it's salty like water. <laughs> yeah, and now it's just like tangy. It's like, why is that on there? You're putting, you know, it's it's a and not even like tangy, which you've you know described. Uh, uh, let's rewind. What is what for our listeners, Chloe? What is, does can you define volatile acidity? Yeah, so uh, volatile acidity is kind of usually a flaw in wine, um, especially in the making of natural wine, which one of these is. And it's basically when you taste a wine and it gives you like, you know, think about it. It's like violent. It's like, you know, that, ah, it's really acidic. It's like this. (laughs) So that's what they're referring to is they're saying that when you drink a wine, it's not balanced. It's not like that perfect, you know, when you have like a, you know, German Riesling where you get that hit of acid in the beginning and then it rounds out that, you know, the richness, that sweet, that smooth. So this is supposed to be like just super acidic and it's like that high note and it doesn't really balance out. Um, but like Drew said, yeah, it, the label itself just makes it look like they were calling it Tang instead of like, you know, Kool-Aid or like, you know, Capri Sun. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if what they, uh, what their thought process was with it, but. And you, you keep coming back to the natural wine thing. I know you said you guys have covered it before, but just like a brief overview, like what's really the qualifier here to, to be able to call it a natural wine? Because I know I hear it all the time now. Oh, so, uh. Well, for this one, basically when they're farming, it's, you know, they're all organic practices and they're not finding or filtering it. So the wine you're seeing is the wine it is. So like, that's exactly what it was. They didn't do something to strip it out to make it, like I said, it was cloudy Um, in the glass. It's very cloudy looking, kind of funky, um, like, I don't know, like mouthwash maybe. (laughs) So it's kind of like where with, with whiskey, if you're talking about an unchill filtered whiskey, all those fats, all those lipids are still in it because it doesn't go through that type of filtration process. Um, so it's really interesting. Like there's going to be a lot more kind of more of that oomph to it. Yeah, yeah that's because... one facet, right? The, the the fining and filtering is one facet of the, the natural winemaking process. Right. The other part is, I think, like we're seeing with um, our, our, one of our last episodes when we were talking about... Um, uh, the plant theory, right? And, and why natural wines are growing again is because of that organic side and that marketing that's coming out of it being made a little bit better, a little, you know, a little less shelf stable, I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they're in, in, in with natural wines. Yeah. They're constantly evolving in the bottle. So if we were to open up this bottle, say this time next year, it would taste a, probably a little bit different, like a lot of different because it's constantly still, you know, it doesn't have that stabilizer to make it stop and stay, say the same way. Well, me and Chris fall into the camp of even with distilled spirits, we believe that there is some changes that occur if they're in there for long mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. So that's right up my alley yeah. in terms of that kind of uh, thought process, which is really cool. I mean, and it's something that I definitely want to get more into. I've always really, really enjoyed wine and I've had, you know, sometimes where I've dealt a little bit more within my own portfolio. We have a lot of weird stuff from like Moldova and Lebanon and we do have a lot of those natural wines, but I never really wrapped my hand around it. So that's really, really fun pour to start things off with. And again, I just, I'm so intrigued by the tang part. Like that just is like, I'm like, wait, that's not what it's called. <laughs> it looks like what it should be called, but I mean, it is what it's called. That is what it's called. Yeah. That's it's the called name of tang. It. Oh, so uh, it is. All right. It is I'm the name of it. Yeah. I was gonna say because like, but also knowing that it's like a tasting note, yeah, right, yeah, it's pretty rad, yeah, yeah. cool. I'm glad you liked it. So all right, Drew, what's next? So now we're on to the mystery spirit. Oh, we both have mystery spirits, and I'm very excited about this. Wait, there's but two you... spirits. Oh yes. 
Oh, oh I'm very wow. excited about this. Okay, so this is this is quite the collaboration effort here. That's right. It's going to be <laughs> off the chain, as it I'm were. I'm scared. As the kids say. Okay, here we go. Then I'll kick it off. So we're going to pour the Lost Spirits Jamaican Rum from Los Angeles. And I understand why that's confusing. But Lost Spirits is a... I guess kind of a distillery in some ways, but uh, they really, what they're known for is taking distillates and rapidly aging them. Through sonic vibration. Well, actually it's light. So these guys are light. Yeah, so it's light and wood is what they're doing. Um, The machine, it's like a reactor, it's called Thea. Uh, Brian Davis is the owner, and um, they have a couple single malts. They have the Navy style, which is kind of what they're known for. He's done all kinds of crazy stuff over the years, but this is their Jamaican expression. So in this scenario, what he did was he got some base spirit from E.H. Shear. So for those of you who don't know, that is a big uh, company in England or in England or Denmark, Denmark, uh, Denmark that they. Um, just have collections of rum from all over the world. And so this is a blend of a couple different rums from Jamaica that he then brought to his facilities in Los Angeles where they did this rapid aging on it. So I go ahead and... All right, Drew, Jamaican me thirsty. Why don't you pour me some? Oh, boy. I'm glad that <laughs> happened like that. Um, me too. So this is a really fun one because this actually took a while to get into circulation. And um, I'm very happy to report that it does now exist in the marketplace. For a while, you could only get it at the distillery. Um, and oddly enough, the only retail store you can get it at is Good Bottle. And the only bar in Sacramento you can get at it is Jungle Bird. Weird. Uh, yeah. So these guys are, are you know, again, they're, they're actually somewhat like controversial within uh, the world of spirits. Because, again, I know they're taking like single malts from Isla and then doing them through this rapid aging process and then basically simulating a 12 year old scotch profile in like 18 months. That is scandalous. Yeah. And then you can imagine with like rum kind of do the same yeah. thing because you have your rum aficionados who are just kind of like, this is ridiculous. Now the, An the imposter. yeah, like the whiskey <laughs> line is called the abomination line. So that's great. Like Brian really leans into it, which I think is hilarious. That's great. I'm and then, and then even with this one, which I think is really awesome, um, when he first submitted to TTB for the labeling, he actually threw on like Money Musk and Hamden and a couple other different distilleries. Now, those are prominent distilleries in Jamaica that are really well known. Of course, TTB label approvals are public records. So for those nerds that go in there and look at those things, they saw that, posted them onto like, you know, your Facebook sites and stuff like that. And people lost their goddamn mind. And it was so funny because then Brian came back and he goes, listen, I have no intention of putting any of those names on here. But when you're dealing with this government agency, you ask for the moon and then you settle for the things that you actually wanted. So he knew he wasn't going to get those things anyways. But when he was able to concede the fact that he wasn't going to put Worthy Park on there and stuff like that, he was like, oh, yeah, I'll just do it this way. I'll just put Jamaica on it because Jamaica does have some pretty strict rules when it comes to like calling someone actually Jamaican rum and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty interesting. And now it's actually at a fever pitch because there's some rules that are being proposed. And it's something I do want to talk about on the podcast eventually, 
but it's a lot to digest. Sounds like a side episode. It, yeah, a it, full, it'd be a, a full numbered episode, not a not a point five, but a full a, one. Not a Chloe, episode. not a Chloe episode. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I think you know, you take in the nose on this, and it's just one point Chloe. <laughs> you would think, I mean, just like caramel notes. Wow. Just a lot of sweetness coming through as well. It's also really, really dark. Yeah, yeah. and there's no color added to this at all. Wow. Yeah, this is all just from the wood that they put in there. They use charred um, New American oak. It's like watered-down Coca-Cola, the color. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. get a couple ice cubes in there. Yep. Very amber. Yeah, dark amber. I would, um, yeah, the nose The nose has that Jamaican funk definitely coming off of it. It's um, very... <clears throat> um, rotten, which yeah. I, which I love. I mean, that's uh, you love, love, yeah, rotten, yeah, rotten. fermenting, mm-hmm. like yeah, you love. What's well, a Jamaican funk? Mm-hmm. It is Jamaican funk. It's it's what what is typically known as Jamaican funk, right? But it's it's those high esters that yeah, big 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 flavor coming off um, in the glass. I haven't even I haven't even touched it to my lips yet, and this is making me drool. <laughs> <laughs> they did a really good job. Like there was times when I didn't think that we were actually gonna ever get it to be able to sell. I mean, and granted, I got two cases. That was it. Um, the facility that Brian produces out of uh, is actually won awards for like best distillery tour. It's been compared to like the Willy Wonka tour wow. from the movie because it's like you actually get in a boat and you and you take a boat around the distillery. And there's like a dragon still in there and stuff. It's supposedly just supposed to be crazy. Mad so, genius. Yeah. Chris is so happy right now. I wish you could see the look on his face after he took a sip of that. I'm going to use a, a Chloe uh, line. This rum's interesting. <laughs> it's very endearing. Mm. But yeah, it just did a really solid job. I mean, it, um, you know, it clocks in at, I think, 57 yeah. and a half. Yeah. So, but it doesn't know. taste... Like, for me, that's the one thing where I'm like, oh, that's hot. It's like, it's very smooth, very caramely. God damn it. Funk. Oh. You Wow. Oh, my God. I just did it. Oh, you're fired. Well, thank you, guys. This was an honor. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be a part of this episode. I will be taking off now. That's the end of our collaboration. Can today. I just sit here and drink while you guys finish this? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think it is very well-rounded. Thank you. And yep. easy to drink. It's surprising because it does clock in at, you know, at that high ABV. So you would think that it would be a lot rougher, but they just did a really good job of finding that balance. And it the heat has, definitely comes on the nose, but it's not, it doesn't follow through. No, which yeah. is like dangerous, you know. You can, Very dangerous. You know, yeah. you're just kind of like, like, oh yeah, like this is going down really easy and I'm going to keep drinking it and keep on go from there. Oh, so we have, so, so far we have two really rad options of, um. Of what to drink, and I'm like very excited about what you brought to the table. Oh, are we ready for my mystery juice? Well, are you gonna keep it mystery the whole time until the end? No, no, I'm gonna, I'm about to whip it out. <laughs> Yikes! There we go. Okay, it's it's enclosed in a black tote bag. That's right. Uh, I will tell you, I only have some idea of what this is, so it's it's kind of even a mystery to me what this is. Oh, so great. I'm very excited to unveil this around you both um because i think we'll be able to decipher it so oh wow oh that doesn't look good at all this is it comes <laughs> it's out rusty what the hell? In a light bulb there is an old text 
stamp. Do you have your tetanus shot up to date? On <laughs> that's wearing itself off around around the top of the light bulb bottle. Inside of the bottle is a pear. Yes, that's a yeah. pear. And but this, it's obviously been in here long enough that the skin is is working its way into the juice. Can I say that it looks like a fetal pig in a jar right now? Mm. Like you got this out of a science class and we have to drink it now. Correct. Where did you get this? This was gifted to me. Who hates you? A lot of people. (laughs) The list is long. This is obviously someone who's playing the long con though. Uh, On the label, it says Torino, Italy. So it's an Italian pear spirit. Pear Williams. Yes. And it's got some sort of certification. Like it definitely, someone allowed it. What I thought was very interesting on this label as well is that it's, uh, the ingredients are uh, Aquavita de Pear Mm. alcohol and and Pera Williams. Which is also the name of Uh, the spirit. Yeah. So Aquavita de Pear, I'm assuming then is Eau de Vie, a Pear Eau de Vie. In there? Okay. Uh, but it could be Aquavit. This has been I sealed, right? I don't speak... Yes, this is perfect. Okay, so we're the first ones trying we, it. Yes, Great. this is. Okay. Um, Drew and I have talked often about collecting spirits and whether or not to open them uh, and what sits in your collection. Um, this was one of those that I just couldn't bring myself to part with because I was so fascinated by it and I wanted to consume it. What's the ABV on it? Uh, Does it say? Not in a language I understand. Yeah, there's a lot of commas. Okay. And so, like, I mean, I'm, I've seen, like, Pear Williams. But yeah. I have it, like, so in our own portfolio, like, we have a Baudel that's from Croatia that is a Pear Williams. So I'm wondering if that's uh, a category. There is a lot of sediment in that yes, bottle. Yes, there is. This is all, yeah, this is, this is all... It's I, like a snow globe. Yeah. Oh, my of gosh. Of skin. Oh, I'm nervous. Oh, you hear... That is how that sounds. Oh, and then it's... Look at that, guys. It's sealed as well on top of it. Oh, good, so you're, good. You're safe from okay, any... Was, yeah. We were worried about the rust on it, but... Uh, E-V-E-L-T Torino. Oh, I've never opened one of these. This is... Really cool. There's a um, mic here. Yeah. Forgive the uh, surrounding noise. Home there's listeners. A, yeah, there's a lot going on with this bottle. So, it, yeah, again, it kind of looks like a light bulb. How many years do you think you've had this? I haven't had it that long. Um, but a friend of mine gave it to me, and it's been sitting in, in his collection for definitely a few years. I, he does not remember where he got it. Um he does a lot of drugs, so that doesn't surprise me. Mm. Oh, um, but well, I guess I won't ask who then. Yeah, <laughs> keep that identity uh, sealed. It's, uh, uh, it's okay. He knows who he is. It's a, it's a, he enjoys a good time. There okay. we go. Okay. Okay, we've got the we've got the top off. Oh, and then there's an additional. Oh, this is a a plastic seal in there. So it there's a plug. It can't be terribly old. Then yeah, that definitely brought it back there we a go. little bit. Okay. There was three levels that you had to get through to get to this. Well, that means magic, that... magic elixir. You, holy moly, that smells incredible though. Oh damn it, I just wasted some of it over our format. 
I'm so excited. Bill? Okay. Can I see the bottle? Yes, you may. Would you like to plug the plastic plug? I want something. <laughs> okay. This The color on this is like a light apple juice. Yeah. Looks like a cider, like a very... Yeah, I mean, you definitely there's there's that there's that pear skin sediment that's floating around in there still. Um, the legs on spirit are funny uh, because they don't they don't tell you the same thing that uh, wine legs tell you. Yeah. Um, they tell you a little bit more about the water that's in that. Oh, Drew's face has me. Oh, uh, this is lovely. Right, cheers. Cheers. Because he went without us. Well, I, she kept looking at me. She's like, she wants me to go. I I'm want gonna you go. to go. I'm gonna go. This is. Oh. Oh, that is interesting. It's like musty and like maybe you just let it go too long. It's a little thin. You know, um, I don't think it's thin at all because I still have it clawing to the side of my tongue. I, I don't want to mm. say it's the, the taste is abrupt, like it's there, then it's gone pretty quickly. Yeah. For me. Sure. But like, it might, yeah, it might there. be because it's old. I don't know. Again, we don't know how old this is. Kind of is. reminds me of like Umishu. Sure. When you make, uh, yeah, yeah, with the plums. You want to tell the, the yeah, plum plum wine. Yeah, plum wine. Japanese plum wine. Uh, but this is also quite um, astringent on the nose yeah. without it without the alcohol being the astringency. Well, you don't okay. get like a lot of fruit like on the nose. You get... So it's a Williams pear that's in it. Right. That's what that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, pear Williams. We knew. Just mix it up. All the all the listeners are real collectively rolling their eyes at Drew right now. We went over this already. We did. And um, <laughs> pear, pears and spirits, uh, I think, are uh, people expect sort of sweet, juicy pear to be mm -hmm. the flavor. In my experience, pear and spirits is a lot drier. Yeah. Um, you're thinking that. In my experience, typically like an under-ripened pear that you bite into and those tannins that dry out your tongue. That's my experience typically with pear in, in booze. Yeah. So th that's this rings true to that. Unless, of course, it's like a liqueur. Like the, the St. George Spice Pear is like a cooked pear. It's, it's very, very uh, sweet. I'm kind of surprised this is like an Italian spirit. Um... Just because, you know, normally with Italian spirits, you get kind of like that bitter, you know, obviously like a bitter flavor, you know, and I'm not really getting bitter, like. No, it's dry. I wouldn't say it's bitter. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Well. Drew, Drew's desperately working on getting his producer credits for this right I, now. I mean, I, I wish I would have brought my laptop. I'm looking off of a tablet right now. It doesn't do the automatic translate. I found a website. Oh. It, oh. Aqua Fruta. Oh, well, that's lovely, and I really hope we'll we'll post that web address to the to the to the notes in the podcast for for everybody if you're interested in. I'm gonna yeah. go back to Tang. Understanding what <laughs> what we're living through right now. Well, guys, thank you so much for being a part of that tasting. <sighs> thank you for I bringing that. I wanted to do something really special for this episode. And I couldn't let this bottle go without knowing what it tasted like. I mean, I'm glad I put it in my mouth. Yeah, for sure. Now I know that now it's like you know. this. This is what it's like to to like drink like pear brandy in like a crypt, in, <laughs> <laughs> like Eastern Europe, yeah. in you know 
that's been sitting there for a long time. Pass me that crypt brandy. That's what it. That it just it has that that m- musty, wet stone. Yeah. As if like, this was served to you by by skeletal hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it Count Dracula was like it when I like when death. I'm not drinking blood, I drink. This. I drink Pharaoh <laughs> Williams. That's what he was saying. Wow. I don't always drink blood. <laughs> when yeah. I don't. I'm on a Dracula kick. I just watched a Netflix series, and so, you know, it's it's top it's topical right now. But speaking of topical subjects, headlines. Headlines. All right. So this is going to be a brand new segment for Chloe. Usually at this point, she'd be like, "All right," and she'd leave. But now yeah. she's got to be part of the flagship, and she's going to give her two cents. So. To start things off, we're gonna we're gonna hit her with a story that actually, you know, she probably will have some opinions on. But Amazon, Facebook, Google, and other tech titans back Trump's tariffs on French wine and cheese. So back in July of 2019, the French government put in a tax that was basically going to collect revenue from international tech companies that are doing business there. So if their users in France are using it and they're they're making some money, like France is going to be able to pull some money from that. It was a 3% tax on gross revenues, which as one rep described as basically like chump change for these guys. Um, The office of the U.S. trade representative deemed them unfair and encouraged the U.S. to use remedial tools to discourage other countries from doing stuff like this. So those tools would be imposing a 100% tariff onto French wine and cheese. Um, now, this is all happening at this hearing, and then um, there was dozens of people testifying the other way, um, one of them being Barkley Stewart, who was the executive director of uh, Southern Wine and Glazer uh, Distributor. And some of the numbers that they had come up with is if these tariffs were to go into effect, you're looking at potentially or up to $718 million cost to importers and 17,000 job losses out of it if these tariffs go into effect. And that's how they feel. And meanwhile, the evil empires of Amazon, Facebook, and Google are sitting there complaining about a 3% tax that they now have to pay. You know, keep in mind Amazon, who did not pay taxes last year. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> He's been busy. He's been getting divorced. You know, his wife's doing other things. Yeah, so it's it's obviously pretty ridiculous that the um, that these tech companies would create such a tip over this and allow the um, the USTR to represent them in such a way because this is just bad optics, right? Yeah. If you're just kind of like, but is it is it bad enough? That's my question. The amount of optics that have been so poor for so many tech companies now. It's sort of like um, the, well, I'm just going to keep smoking because everything gives me cancer. Or I'll die anyways. Yeah. yeah. So everything's bad. Right. So this isn't any worse. Right. Right. So, and I feel like so much of our public image of ourselves is wrapped up in this. Well, everything sucks. All pill politicians are bad. <laughs> so what's worse about this, Right. All tech companies are terrible, so yeah, obviously. But this is so fucked. Mm. This is incredibly fucked. This is 
Everybody else literally can go fuck themselves. We just want our 3%. I also understand from a devil's, devil's advocate perspective that it's like protecting a trademark. You have to do it just to just to do it. it. It doesn't really matter if you care, but it only means a thing if you if you actually defend it, right? I get that these tech companies still like, yeah, it's three percent. They'll they'll go ahead and do it, but it's the veracity in which they do it that really really shows their true intent and how little they give a fuck about anybody else. Yeah, and I think the thing to consider here is that. This isn't just about France. This is being used as a deterrent for other countries. So products coming, like different products. So it's not, we're not talking about just French wine and cheese and stuff like that. Like they're trying to do this to discourage any other country from doing a similar thing to them when it comes to their social media platforms being available in their country. So let's say, you know, they go, like Italy does a similar thing. Yeah, like are you saying that they don't like these tech companies they don't like basalmic vinegar they don't like grana padana cheese you're telling me that they don't like these things and they're okay with us no they love it they make enough money to say fuck it it doesn't matter but even rich yeah even rich people don't like to spend a lot you know that that common you know that common phrase like how do you think they got rich they didn't spend money they saved money so you would think that this would also hit them like in the pocketbooks for sure it's like we're talking like you can't just recreate like authentic champagne in the states. You just can't. I'm sorry. Like they try, but it's you don't you don't get that nice terroir. I'm sorry. It's very controversial, but champagne is fucking champagne. Is it? Is that controversial? It's just. I feel like everybody knows this by now. No, but you know what I mean. You got like the you know the California sparkling wines that are like, oh, our terroir is similar. Oh, it's the best you can get closest to champagne. No, you cannot. I'm sorry. It is not. It's not. Yeah, so I, I think the calculations, though, for them are the amount that they're going to make versus the amount they individually have to spend. Well, I hate them. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I mean, and obviously to tie this into the industry and how it affects us is that those job losses that they're referencing. Now, this is this is only about the wine and cheese. These numbers, these seventeen thousand job loss, like that's just for there. We're not even considering. The whiskey aspect of oh. it and what is being currently, you know, put together with like Scotland and stuff like that. That hearing is not till January 17th. So my assumption, you know, and who knows if they're going to be backing that one as well. Because again, like this, this is very specifically tied to France and the fact that France is imposing a 3% tax on potential revenue being claimed, you know. I think this also really goes and flies in the face of the art of at least what our initial argument and understanding of this whole situation was, which it was between Boeing and, Air- and Aerojet. Aerojet? Or, um, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's clearly not the case anymore. Now it's now it's a tit for tat. Airbus is what it was. Airbus, thank Airbus, you. Airbus, not Aerojet. Yeah. yeah, Airbus. Yeah. So this no longer has to do with that that argument that started... 15 years ago this is this is just retaliatory I, I this doesn't even make sense anymore right yeah well especially considering it's like because i think the general consensus is like nobody's okay with tariffs like nobody wants to pay more for the things that they enjoy and then to see that 
these major U.S. tech companies are backing it just because they got slapped with a tax back in July. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, 100% tax on you now. <laughs> like, that's insane. Um, but, yeah, I think it's we're economic all... economic warfare, and yeah. it's real dumb. And because the people who don't get affected by it are the people who are imposing these, you know, and they're just doing it to make a point. And the argument still has been from this administration that consumers won't feel the hit it's right but Mm -hmm. if you know anything about tariffs and basic fucking economics obviously consumers are feeling the hit they're the only ones who really feel the hit the producers will feel the hit as well but they have to pass it along this is dumb yeah and that's actually something that a lot of the tariffs in terms of like scotch went into effect you know over the past week and um i saw people talking about today for example one of our favorite scotches, Lefroig, uh, or no, I'm Lagavulin in 16, went up, I think it was something around the realm of around like 18 to $20, you know, which I'm still gonna, I would still pay, but yeah. it's it's happening. And yes, you know, the consumers are the ones that are paying for it. Um, but moving on to our next story, uh, Molson Coors, is going to cease production at Irwindale, California facility in September of 2020. Molson Coors, formerly known as Miller Coors, uh, shut down a brewery back in 2016 in North Carolina. They say they have extra capacity to compensate for this additional loss of a brewery. This brewery in particular down in Irwindale is a 40-year-old brewery. It has 470 employees. 4.8 million barrels were produced there in 2019. They make Miller Lite, Coors Light, Miller High Life, MGD, Steel Reserve, and Miller 64. They announced that uh, they did a cost saving plan in revitalization back in October 19, and they claim that this was actually not part of that plan. So just you know, four five months ago, they they made this announcement and this wasn't part of it. And um, but someone who does have first rights to buy it is Pabst Blue Ribbon, who they were in a major. Uh, lawsuit with last year who currently has a contract um coming up with city brewing which they're thinking about doing so with all that said i mean you know you have these conglomerates becoming bigger and bigger but even though they're becoming bigger they're getting more lean and Mm -hmm. in this situation you're looking at potentially 470 people losing their jobs so again more job loss in the news yay it's awful it's awful yeah, I, I mean, that's the that's the problem with lack of diversification in in terms of product that's available. You know, I think a lot of people don't think about because they they see PBR everywhere, they see Molson, they see Coors everywhere, depending on your originality, and so you just sort of assume that it's already a behemoth. But when those behemoths are taking out other products out of they're buying out other products out of the marketplace and then closing down their plants because they can run more efficiently out of i I don't know this is pure conjecture 17 as opposed to 20 Mm -hmm. right um then that hurts everybody you know the beer the beer industry hurts for it basic economic you know everybody in the u.s hurts for it because everybody's losing jobs we just don't have a lot uh, enough to go away we got we have to maintain and support i don't want to say support local but we've got to support 
smaller companies um, and speak with your dollar. Yeah, I feel like, man, all these headlines are just like job losses. <laughs> like yeah, so, I didn't realize that until so I like read it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, don't worry, the next one's fine. But it's um, <laughs> like, damn. Wait for it. Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, it's it's really pertinent information. I mean, there's, I think this is kind of like that, that microcosm of as a entire society, like we're moving more towards this automation. And like, you know, you said, they're getting leaner and meaner. So they're claiming that they're going to be able to replace 4.8 million barrels of production with ease. And this huge cost savings plan that they rolled out back in October, this wasn't part of it. So you're telling me that there was kind of, to a certain degree, this willy-nilly decision made to kind of be like, you know that 40-year-old facility that has just been like, you know, probably has like generational employees there? Oh, of course. Let's get rid of it. Let's just cut it out. We weren't, you know what, we were thinking about it four months ago. Now we're going to be like, we're we're moving on from it. We're, to me, we're that means that, that there was like an aha moment when they're going through their numbers and, and probably some sort of technology that they came across where they said, oh, well, if we plug this into these other plants that are like more likely to be, um, you know, improved with technology, then we can get rid of some. And then it's just a numbers game for them. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting to see if, if PAPS takes the opportunity to open up their own facility. So PAPS has always been a contract produced beer and Miller Coors was doing that for the longest time. And, you know, now, like I said, like they were planning on making this transition over the next four to five years into city brewing. And now they have this opportunity to potentially just take over their own facility. Like, is that something that does make sense for them? Do you think it can make sense for them? I mean, hopefully it does, because I mean, you don't want to see anybody lose jobs. But they, I guess, they have the first right to buy. That's is interesting. That, yeah, that they would give that to them. So I'm wondering why they have first right. Was that a, you know, did they write it into a contract and say, oh, by the way, folks, you know, <laughs> if if one of these comes up at some point in time, it we, we would like we would like first right of refusal. It could have been part of their lawsuit that they were involved with last year, where um, Coors was trying to get out of the contract right. and. Paps was like, that's not how this works. Like, we had this agreement, and you need to continue to produce our beer. But then maybe, like, through that process, they were like, if we use some of our facilities, you know, you can buy it first if you want it. Can you remind the, our listeners what some of that that lawsuit last year was? Well, I think it had to do with, because I'm not as, you know, you know played, I mean, beer is a little bit outside of my realm of interest, but... When Molson and Miller Coors came together, you know, sometimes when you have those contracts set up, they can fall by the wayside, right? And in this scenario, it was kind of like, yeah, we don't know if we want to keep up with the production levels that PAPS requires. I mean, that's a, that's a huge brand. That's Absolutely. a lot of beer to me. a lot of hipster bars. <laughs> they need their water. Yeah, yeah. And so I think there was some issues with, you know, them not producing what they wanted them to produce. And so, you know, went into this, you know, very, very public lawsuit and everything like that. And eventually they were able to come to this other agreement with City Brewing, but the transition was going to take place over five years, like I said. So, you know, is this a way for them to kind of be like, wash their hands of it and be like, fine, you know, fuck off and go make your own beer. You know, like <laughs> right. we're, we're just, we're so sick of everything you put us through recently. 
you know, that could be it. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I see all these things and these stories and then this is a much different example, but then you have like these machines at home that can make drinks for you now. And it's just kind of like, why are we automating away every single thing that people do? You know, or like you go to the bank and it's kind of like, well, you know, you can do that at the ATM. It's like, you know that you, you're, I, you're going to lose your job if you keep recommending this to people. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. This, uh, this lean, mean thing of just we're, yeah, we don't need it. 4.8 million barrels. seems like a lot to me. Obviously it's not, you know, for yeah. them to just fit it into another facility that they have. It's just kind of crazy. It's a massive so. facility. Yeah. Well, you know, one, one area that uh, automation has tried to take away and they, they can't is, um, is taste testing. I mean, there are electronic noses, but they don't, they just, they don't work the same as Good. humans. So at very least, if you're good at tasting something, You'll have a job. Yeah, that, that in theory. Mo- yeah, that movie AI terrified me. I don't want this world to become AI robots tasting, selling. I just come on. Well, this is gonna freak it. you out. Then oh, <laughs> this is not booze related, but recently a major Hollywood studio, I want to say it was like WB or something like that, have approved a project for an AI to use algorithms to create the perfect movie based with like the right actors and stuff like that. They're gonna like make a movie using this AI technology or, or attempt to. And be able to cast it like all using just these algorithms and it was really funny and I, this guy retweeted the story and mentioned it's like you know the whole marvel cinematic universe was based on john favreau convincing the heads that a coked out fresh out of jail self-admitted <laughs> movie like blockbuster poison robert downey jr was the right guy you know like that's not going to pop up in your algorithm so it was uh it's yeah it's just it, there's just more of that automation coming and it's it's coming for booze so yeah there's our advice to industry if you don't want to lose your job to a robot get better tasting stuff get a better nose get a better nose you know like anybody can all right now for some good news yeah I mean, i'm taking all the like sharp objects away, away. <laughs> this gonna, the smith starts playing in the background yeah seven percent so the sharp objects away from chloe and i'm gonna read this now um Distill Ventures is taking a minority stake in Ritual Zero Proof. This is a Chicago-based company that was launched in September of 2019, so very, very recent. Um, this group will remain will retain major ownership. The investment will be helped to drive brand growth and then you know really increase the direct-to-consumer touching that they're able to do. Um, Ritual Zero Proof does a gin and whiskey substitute. Um, now, Distill Ventures is actually the uh, first investment group that got into Seedlip, so mm. a brand that you know people are a little bit more familiar with in yes, terms of the yes. no ABV. And I know we kind of already blew this earlier in our prep, but <laughs> before our conversation earlier, did either of you guys know who Distill Ventures were? Did not. I did not. Okay. Who is Distilled Ventures? Is anybody at home know? I can hear them yelling. Just no. Okay. So, <laughs> Scooby-Doo reveal. The whole time, Distill Ventures is Diageo. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, and, and in 2017, Diageo did a similar thing with, um, with Seedlip where they took, like, you know, some seed money, threw it at it, and helped, helped grow it. And they actually created an entire arm based around low ABV, no ABV spirit options um this is a 
obviously a callback to what we talked about in our last episode. The things that we're excited about are these no ABV things that are happening. Uh, in fact, since then, there's like a bar in Portland that's opening up that's going to be a no alcohol bar. Right. Oh, wow. there, there's there was a pop up in San Francisco uh, through the holiday season, which yeah. was which is no ABV. I thought that was great. Yeah. Locally here, Lindsay Nader and Nick Amano are launching a, a low ABV, no ABV um, consulting company. I think that. That's not the only thing they concentrate on, but it's it's all about balance and it's called equal parts. Yeah, which I think that's that's great. Um, I think there's a lot to to experience in this in this realm that I think most people sort of scoff at. I for sure am guilty of, of scoffing at, at the idea of low ABV and or no ABV cocktails in my in my career, and I think less to my own defense. <laughs> It was less about whether or not I saw value in them and more about whether or not my my assumption of what the consumer wanted, you know, whether or not they would see value in it. Yeah, I mean, the whole low ABV thing is really funny because when we first opened up Empress Tavern on the menu, we had two low ABV cocktails. And it was because the person consulting, you know, she did a lot of bar consulting in San Francisco. And that's like really common there. Um, a lot of bars have cocktails that are low ABV or they offer, you know, spirits of that nature. And when we first opened, people were like, what the hell is this? And I even thought, I was like, why are we doing this? Like, if I'm paying $9 for a cocktail, like, I want to get fucked up. Like, right? But <laughs> I think with our industry, you know, the great thing about our industry is like, we have like this like level of excess in almost a sense, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like, you know, we have all these things that are fingertips, you know, you have these spirits, I have these wines in front of me, you know, and it's like, we have the tendency to, you know, take advantage of that. So having low ABV options, I think are really great because a lot of people, you know, you want to be able to last the night or like you want to, you know, go out with friends and you don't want to get, you know, fucked up. You have a crazy day tomorrow. And if you have more bars and more places that are offering, you know, low ABV wines or, you know, low ABV spirits, Cocktails, I think it can only be better for you know this industry for sure. Well, I think also if you're not, uh, um, you know, a, a, a burden on society like like the three of us are, um, <laughs> <clears throat> I think that uh, offering offering people who practice um, moderation a lot more regularly than than we do. Uh, a chance to still be in the social milieu is is always still a good thing. Uh, or people who simply just don't partake. You know, there's no reason you don't deserve to be out in public no. with everybody else. Um, also, personally, you know, my my wife now being pregnant has been desperately looking for great cocktails, things things that she can consume um, that sort of replace in that way the same experience because alcohol just has a different flavor. And apparently you miss that when you're pregnant. Yeah, I can imagine. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, I didn't miss it when she was pregnant because I'm, you know, still drinking. You're still partaking. Here I am. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, finding finding that locally was very difficult, which is why when, when we opened up Good Bottle, that was one of the first things that, that we brought in was, was the no ABB stuff. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's it's... It's interesting. I mean, I, I I do get caught off guard by how expensive it can be because I do wonder myself, I'm like, well, what exactly am I paying for here? And I think that's where the education comes, right? And that's where something like a vehicle like Diageo, the, the means that they have, can help with, sure. right? And in doing 
doing events and having you know educations and stuff like that it's like this is kind of this is why that cost is still there because it's like i can enjoy a seed lip cocktail but i also like i i do wonder internally i'm like why does this cost this much like yeah. we're yeah, it costs it cost just as much as a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of vodka. It, yeah. You know, a classic bottle of gin. For sure. It costs exactly the same amount. So when people are arguing, and I've heard, I've heard it argued that it can help with poor costs, I'm like, no, it doesn't. The bottle costs just as much as a bottle of gin, so it doesn't it doesn't change anything. Right. You know, your, your, your margins are still exactly the same as they would be. Um, but it can affect the alcohol volume in a in a cocktail that's mm-hmm, cool mm-hmm. it gives you a different experience for mm-hmm. sure yeah and that's something that can be worked with yeah so it's um you know i think distill ventures like i said they started with seed lip now they're doing this ritual zero proof just other ones just so people know star ward whiskey is a distilled venture investment is it yeah westward as well oh wow um stoning whiskey uh, out of Europe, that's that's one as well. Um, you can visit their website and you can actually apply to good to know get an investment from them. So they just have like you know what we look for and all this different fun stuff and yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. I mean, and, and I I've always believed you know say what you will about some of the bigger companies, but when the big companies do invest in certain things that other people aren't. That's because they have the data to back it up. You know, the trends are there. They're not going to spend money on stuff that doesn't make sense. Agreed. So when you see someone like Diageo really investing in a certain thing, whether it's non-alcoholic spirits, mezcals, whatever, you got to know. It's like, okay, they saw the numbers, the writing's on the wall, the wave's coming. Yeah. So how do they get, you know their their fingers into it which i think is which is really interesting with all that said there it is that's our first collaboration episode that felt really good you guys did it yeah (laughs) that's great i'm happy chloe feels taken care of yeah yeah i feel great Mm -hmm. i think yeah i i liked as well it was fun to have another perspective when it came to the stories and stuff like that we really got to Teacher not to like stuff, apparently. Yeah. I don't know if I fully understand that rule, but like, yeah. you know, I try to abide by and it. And I said smooth, so I'm already. Yeah, yeah the smooth thing. That Good lord. It take me easily a week it's to embarrassing. Get Unforgivable. New year, new me. <laughs> you know right. what? Do you, Chloe? I will. Yeah. Hey, cheers, everybody. Cheers, cheers everybody. That. Here's to season two. Season two. <laughs> the Good Bottle Podcast was recorded at the Good Bottle Shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Chase Moore. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Good Bottle Podcast.